Welcome to the Ask Zach Show. I'm your host, Zach Childs. I've spent the last 30 years working in the music industry here in Nashville, Tennessee, during which I've done everything from touring with major artists like Brad Paisley and Carrie Underwood to playing the nastiest dive bars or even the occasional wedding. This show is all about barreling down the rabbit hole on all things guitar and the music we love. We will cover the legendary players, gear insights, and even some interviews along the way. I hope you enjoy. To support the show, follow the links in the description to find out about my Patreon page. Or go to my store at AskZach.com to pick up a coffee mug or t-shirt. Now, let's dive in. friends and welcome to another Ask Zach. Today we're going to tell the story of my Martin 1981 Herringbone D28 that I bought used in the early 90s and is the guitar that I have owned the longest. It's not the oldest guitar but it's the guitar I've owned the longest and I've owned it for close to 30 years and it's a it's a great guitar and one that I had loaned out for a while and finally uh, got it back. And uh, so, yeah, so I wanted to tell its story. So I'm going to tell a little bit about the model, you know, just kind of the, you know, the basics about uh, Martin and the, and the different D28s. Then I'm going to tell the story about me getting this guitar and I'm going to tell about my favorite gig that I played playing this guitar, which is a funny story. And then I'm going to do just a little, it's not really a shootout, but just a comparison, just so you can hear how bass heavy and how big this thing sounds next to like this Waterloo WL-14 ladder braced, or even a really unfair, but very different sounding. Uh, this is a mid thirties uh, Gibson l that I borrowed from a good friend. So, all right. So while you're thinking about it, if you haven't already, and if you've been enjoying the channel, please hit subscribe. Also, I appreciate you hitting the like button because of course that helps the old algorithm. Also, uh, if you've been enjoying the show for a while, I appreciate you supporting the show because that's what keeps it going. So there's multiple ways. There's tip jar information in the description. Also, you can go to askzack.com where you can find a merch that you can pick up. There's coffee mugs, t-shirts like this A to Z shirt, or you can find out about Friends of Ask Zach, which is a way to support the channel on a monthly basis. And you get the episodes early without commercials. You get exclusive lesson content that I send out monthly. And also you get some of these D'Andrea medium heavy picks with the Ask Zach logo on. So just a little uh, little special for, for those that support me. So, all right, so let's dive in. So the Herringbone D28 was released in 1976. And really what it is, it was supposed to be a reissue of what people started regarding as the classic, you know, pre-war era D28. 
So the D28 originally had herringbone trim and it had scalloped bracings. But then in the mid 40s, partially because people were using heavier strings and such, they uh, and they wanted the guitars to last longer, um, apparently, they, uh, they stopped scalping the bracings and they started just using regular white binding on them. Well, that's the way the guitar was all through you know, the late 40s, 50s, 60s, and into the 70s. And it's in the 70s when the kind of pre-war word and vintage Martin, the whole vintage guitar thing started happening. And so Martin from both customers and dealers started getting requests for them to make guitars that were more like the old ones. So this was, I guess, um, Martin's first attempt at a reissue. And so what they did was they tried to get a little closer and it wasn't exact by any means. Uh, but what they did do is they, they brought back the herringbone, you know, kind of binding, purfling. Then you have this zigzag, you know, on the back and you have the scalloped bracings. Uh, you know, the funny thing about reissues is that every company seems to do the same thing. They release a reissue and then they keep releasing a more correct and better version of that. Isn't it funny? They do it. Everyone does it. They say, oh, this is the 54 reissue, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, a year or two later, this one's more accurate than the last. All right, I'm going to get off my little horse there. But uh, it was just a little Shetland pony. So one of the things that's very non-vintage on these is uh, they have either... The earliest ones have Grover machine heads, and then by the by the time they had mine, this is at 81 again, these have uh, Martin branded Schaller, you know, tuners on there. So, so how did I get this? Well, first I'll tell a brief story about me and acoustic guitars. So my first guitar was an acoustic and it was a Carlos. And so that was an in-house brand for um, C. Bruno and Command KMC, which is a, a distributor. So they had that, and uh, and uh, that was a I think it was a hundred dollars with a chipboard case and a strap from Galvan Music Company in Corpus Christi, Texas. And after that, when I started getting serious about it, uh, my parents agreed to buy me a guitar. So I uh, I briefly had a Squire Telecaster made in Japan that was brand new with a little sidekick reverb 35 amp. But this was the era of uh, record burnings and um, you know looking for backwards masking on, on records and things like that, playing records backwards so you could hear. And so you know there was stuff like that going on at the church I was at and uh, no one said this, but I just kind of convinced myself that electric guitars were evil. I don't think electric guitars are evil. I think you can do evil things on anything. And I don't know what, what's evil as far as music. I don't know. But at that point, I was convinced that electric guitars were evil. So I took it back to the music store that I got it and traded it in plus some money for an Ovation acoustic. So... Here's a photo of me. I'm guessing I'm around 13 or 14 years old and we're in my backyard at the pool and we are having, yes, we are having an old timey baptism service in my backyard in my pool. 
So that's my dad in the water with the blue shirt looking up at me. That is my guitar teacher and who is the uh, the song leader at our church, Romeo Barrera, that's standing next to me with his eyes closed. And then the pastor with is the man wearing glasses. That's Ed Can. And uh, so those were all important people. And uh, yeah. And so I played that guitar. And then, of course, I quickly got an electric after that, and I kind of got over this whole thing, electric guitars were evil, and uh, really didn't play as much acoustic until I started really getting into country music. So I saw, you know, Ricky Skaggs, and he was always either playing a Telecaster or a Martin acoustic, so I convinced myself I had to have a Martin. So I went to Clausen's Music in Corpus Christi, Texas, and they had a custom shop or whatever version of a D35 that the the owner, Bob Clausen, had ordered for his artist wife, Barbara Clausen. So he had ordered, gotten it in. She didn't like it. So he was selling it and he sold it to me at a, at a great price. Uh, it was brand new. It had a Martin uh, Matrix, uh, Martin, uh, yeah, the Fishman Matrix pickup in there. And it sounded great plugged in, but it, it, it was kind of stiff sounding. But I didn't really think anything of it because I really didn't, you know, acoustic guitar didn't mean a whole lot to me. It was just what I did when I had to, when someone said, hey, we need some acoustic guitar, but I really wanted to play electric. So then I move up here to Nashville and I'm at Belmont University. And all of a sudden I'm getting asked to play more acoustic, playing, you know, backing up, uh, you know, singers and things like that, doing, uh, doing recitals. And after a you know, a couple months at Belmont, I had the Christmas break where I came home. And so, of course, I had to go to the local music store. So I went back to Clausen's and up on the wall was this guitar. So this is about 1993, December of 93. And I see this guitar and I thought, oh, that'd be fun to check that out. I pulled it down. And even though I didn't have the D35 with me right there, I knew this guitar sounded so much better and it looked so much, so much cooler. Cause I mean, yeah, the guitar has aged a bit, but even back then it had a darker top to it and it just, it looked more like the guitar Ricky Skaggs played, which of course Ricky was playing pre-war Martins. Well, I decided I had to have it. And, uh, and I had some gear lying around that I wasn't using anymore. So I had a Roland keyboard. I think it was called a U20. And then I had the stand for it. And then I had a PV bass amp. It was a TNT 115. And then I had an old sequencer. And so and this had a floppy drive on it. So this is what I would hook up to the Roland keyboard and I would make back backup tracks and things to practice with. Well, I traded all that in plus a couple hundred dollars and, uh, and got this used Martin Herringbone D28. And, uh, and immediately when I when I brought it home and played it next to the D35, I was like, oh my goodness, this thing sounds so much better. Part of it was that, you know, at the time this guitar was 12 years old and the D35 was brand new. Also, this had scalloped bracings, which just meant it was more responsive. So the bracings on the D35 were not scalloped. So they're thicker bracings. And of course, that's stronger, but it also doesn't let the, the guitar resonate as much. So... I uh, started using you know, this Martin a fair amount, but the problem was is it had a pickup on it, but it was the original Martin Thinline pickup that had no preamp in it or anything. And so when I plugged it in, it sounded terrible. I mean, 
my buddies all had Takaminis and their guitars didn't sound good acoustically, but they sounded amazing plugged in. And this guitar was the opposite. Amazing acoustically, as soon as you plugged in, it sounded terrible. Well, finally I got my brains together and uh, decided to get a new pickup in it. So in the mid nineties, the, uh, you know, people were pushing the uh, Fishman Matrix. So it had a preamp in it and I didn't really want to cut any holes, even though I'd seen Ricky Skaggs put Takamini pickups on his Martins. Like he would cut out this part and they put the old Takamini pickup, the one with the three sliders that was brown with this little silver stickers on there. And I knew I wasn't, I wasn't gonna do that. But uh, anyway, so I got the Fishman Matrix and I used the guitar a lot on gigs. And so, uh, you know, it was very, it's always been a very valuable and important guitar to me. And I've played tons and tons of gigs. And this, I've used it on on recording sessions. I've, I've played it on the Opry before. Uh, let's see, uh, my former employer, uh, Mr. Paisley, used it on a, on a recording or two. And, uh, and in fact, I remember it was a duet with Sarah Evans, and I think it was for like it was a, for a soundtrack thing. But uh, anyway, then I just you know kept playing it and uh, and playing it. And uh, at one point, and now I'm going to tell you my favorite you know gig story you know using this guitar. So in the mid 2000s, I met. J.D. Simo. J.D. is a very good friend. I was the best man at his wedding. Uh, we've known each other for a long time. Uh, you know, lo I love him. You know, he's a, he's a wonderful dude. And uh, he was coming to town. And at that point, this is in the mid 2000s, he was really wanting to get a, uh, you know, kind of a country record deal. He was kind of wanting to do something more in the vein of like Marty Stewart uh, Graham Parsons, you know, more of the cosmic country kind of thing, outlaw, you know, somewhere in there. So he had a Manuel outfit. And if you don't know who Manuel is, Manuel is like the clothier to the, the country honky tonk stars, you know, back when they had rhinestones and such. And, uh, so Manuel made this beautiful, you know, a couple beautiful outfits for, uh, for JD to wear. And we were going to play what's called an artist showcase, which is where, uh, or, you know, the, the management works with a record label to say, hey, we're going to have JD play at this club at such and such in time so you can come out and see him in action. And, and then they can have a meeting afterward and decide if they want to sign whoever it is to a, a recording contract. So we were playing. So it was myself and Dave Rowe, who, uh, who played bass for like Johnny Cash and Dwight Yoakam and all sorts of people. And then, uh, Randall Curry, who played, uh, who plays pedal steel with, uh, with Brad Paisley and, uh, a drummer friend of, of JD's and of course JD. And so JD was really spotlighting his electric playing and stuff. So I was playing acoustic, which that was fine. Cause I mean, JD's a, a killer, killer, uh, well, any kind of guitar player. So he told all of us before the show, which we were going to play at Third and Lindsley, he said, uh, he said, we're all black. I said, okay. So, so I had on black slacks, black boots, black shirt, you know, black sport coat. You know, I was all in black, had my, had my Martin, even had a nice leather black guitar strap ready to go. And uh, we'd go through sound check. And then all of a sudden he comes around to us and he hands these things out. They've got a little bling on there. 
So these are neckerchiefs. So yes, we had to wear these neckerchiefs. So I can't remember if I wore it like this or if I wore it off to the side. I don't know which is better. But yes, I wore this <laughs> for that gig with JD. And uh, and it was it was a fun gig because you know of course JD is always fun to play with and uh, and then all of us wearing neckerchiefs and we kept looking at each other especially Dave Rowe who Dave Rowe told me afterwards that uh, when he worked for Dwight Yoakam that uh, Dwight would always dress him and that he he would make him wear bib overalls and uh, you know and that was you know yeah Dwight had a uh, a thing about telling everyone what they wore on stage so all right. So that's the story of this guitar. I love it. Glad to have it back. Thinking about taking the Matrix pickup out and getting something like a K&K, &K, which is what I have in this Waterloo guitar. But here, let's, let's hear it, you know, without the capo. So, you know, of course I opened with some, uh, you know, kind of finger-picked guitar stuff, but let's hear the, it in all of its glory. Because here's the thing about these guitars. These guitars have a lot of low end. And I'll even put like brighter strings on them, but they still just have a lot of low end because of the body size, the scalped bracing. <laughs> and if you compare that to so this is a mid thirties uh, L double O. Well, like a guitar like this, what it really excels more at is, is finger picking. Or, just to bring it a little more of a modern guitar, so this is a, a five or six year old uh, WL14 Waterloo. which again, you know, just to, to get the gravity of the difference, you know. Which is the reason why I kind of like to capo up on this guitar because it really helps kind of tame some of the the low end but you know like I did on the intro uh, yeah capoing up and doing finger picking parts are really cool on it but uh, yeah it just is so big sounding which you know for certain things is is the right thing 
All right, guys. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode with my uh, 41-year-old uh, you know, Martin Herringbone D28. Uh, I hope to, uh, to have it for the, for the rest of my duration, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Ask Zach podcast. If you want to dive deeper, check out my website, askzach.com, to find more articles and further info on each episode. And remember, it is the support from you, the listener, that keeps the show going. Thank you, friends.